name is Amanda Newland Davis, and I run Oklahoma Cold Cases along with my partner Jen. At Oklahoma Cold Cases, we try to shine light on the cases of the missing, murdered, and unidentified that otherwise don't get much media attention. For the last four years, we've existed solely on Facebook, sharing the posts of the missing, murdered, and unidentified of Oklahoma. But this past year, we've branched out and started a database in which we list all of the names of every cold case that is in Oklahoma that we are currently aware of. You can find us at oklahomacoldcases.org. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. here today with Amanda Newland Davis and Jen Gregg from Throwaways Podcast. So tell us a little about yourselves. I'm Jen and I started Oklahoma Cold Cases about five, six years ago and uh, Mandy came on pretty soon after. We've been rocking and rolling ever since. Were you guys friends before Oklahoma Cold Cases or no? We've actually never met in person. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, our, our, we were introduced by a mutual friend. Yeah, pretty magical. A mutual friend named Chelsea. She was my research assistant for my master's degree project. And you guys, um, you're both criminologists? I'm not. I'm going to school for forensics and my PI license. Awesome. That's what I, I did. Exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up using it for podcasts. Mandy, Mandy here. <laughs> I have my master's in criminology and I ended up using it mostly for a podcast. So, you know, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but you know what? It's okay because we are spreading information. So I agree. I wanted you guys on this, this specific episode because, well, number one, it's a cold case. So we're going to start here. We're talking about Dina Dean today. And this is a, a cold case from 1998 here in Tulsa where I am. And it starts on Saturday, June 6th, uh, the 2800 block of South 49th West Avenue. It's like a little shopping center called Town West Shopping Center. And it was uh, specifically 5616 West Skelly Drive. Some of these places aren't there anymore. So I don't feel so bad giving specific addresses when they're not there anymore. Um, so 16-year-old Dina Dean, she's working at Arby's at the time. Um, she clocks in. She plans to meet her family at the racetrack after work. And her family goes ahead and heads to the racetrack. And she clocks in at work. Dina then pages her mother at some point and says that when she gets off work, she's going to go head to Marvin's Food Store, which is where her best friend at the time, Brandy McClellan, worked. And she's going to wait for her there to get off when she closes up the store so that she can get a ride home. 
I guess she changed her mind and didn't want to go to the racetrack. But that was like a, they did that a lot. She it was like a racetrack family. You know, it's interesting when I was researching this part of the story, there are a couple different reports in the newspapers about what actually happened. Like, there's one report that says that she called her mom and asked her if she could hang out with a boy. Yeah. This report here, like this one, and then there's another report that was different as well. And it's been a really weird, like, which one is exactly the right one. But then, yeah, there's, you know, different reports all over the place, which is weird, too, because this is, like, coming from mm-hmm. her family. Yeah, I agree. She goes over to the grocery store, which this grocery store was, like, not even a block away from where she worked at Arby's. Around 8.15, she arrives at Marvin's, and um, a family friend and her daughter, Pepper, see her inside of Marvin's. Pepper is not her best friend that works there. So she is seen inside by two completely different people than her best friend. Well, I'll just put it like that. They speak to her for a very brief moment. And um, they just, they go on about their business. This is 8.15. I'm not sure if she like looked at her watch and was like, look, it's 8.15 and I see Dina. It's, I don't know. I always wonder about that too. And then around 10 p.m., Brandy, uh, she's done with work. She's closed up. She goes out into the parking lot to meet Dina. Dina's car is there. Her windows are rolled down, but Dina is nowhere to be found. What, what time of year did this happen? This was uh, in June, so it, it was hot out. So this it's just a vacant parking lot. Um, the way it was described is literally her car was like the only one in the parking lot. And her, her windows are rolled down as if she were at some point sitting in her car, like waiting on her and had rolled down the windows. Um, but she was just gone. No trace. Like, And so Brandy tries to page Dina. This is back in the day with pagers. <laughs> and she waits by the phone. Um, apparently, Dina was really dependable on getting, like, directly back to her when she paged her. But she never called her back. And so Brandy starts kind of freaking out. She's crying. A family friend sees Brandy there. I don't know where this person came from. But apparently, all of a sudden, there's a person in the parking lot with her. And she asks her if everything is okay. Brandy tells her that Dina was supposed to meet her, but she isn't anywhere to be found. And so she asks Brandy if she needs a ride home, and then and Brandy refuses. She says she's going to sit and wait for Dina. The family friend then thinks that it's probably best to call Dina's parents. They do so, and Brandy eventually goes home with her brother's girlfriend. I don't know if she called her brother's girlfriend to come pick her up or what happened with that but she eventually left uh, eventually left with her so then her dad larry dean decides to go down and look for her and her mom stays at home just in case that she may come home when larry gets to the parking lot he finds her car but no dina He searches literally all over the parking lot. At one point, he literally said that he went behind the buildings and he was searching in the trash cans, like lifting trash can lids up. Yeah, he was looking in the dumpsters because he said that he immediately felt like something was bad had happened. I kind of understand that, um, that, I don't know, maybe it's just like a parental bond, like something is not right. Mm -hmm. I probably would have too. I'd have been like, okay, check everything. Yeah. 
he was worried instantly. But he doesn't find her nor any trace of her. Like, no work clothes, no purse, personal effects or anything like that. No page or nothing. This is um, mother said that I told her she could go talk to him and stay at the store there in the parking lot and to be careful, but to be home by 1030. So there's that instance of her talking about her possibly meeting a boy. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the thing is too, is that like teenagers, like their minds change <laughs> instantaneously. So, uh, and then, so by one o'clock, they call the sheriff's office. They tell Dina's parents that she's probably a runaway, which instantly upsets me. They label every single teenager a runaway, no matter the circumstance. Don't want to be the person to say that that's just lazy police work. It's lazy police work. Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) It's so frustrating. Then the FBI is informed. That's really quick yes i'm not really sure why um i didn't see anywhere where it said well this is the reason why they went ahead and informed the fbi i have no idea um but so the family and i also don't know if the family was the ones that informed the fbi I mean, even if the family informed the fbi that's really really quick for them to get involved with yeah. A missing person when you're not looking at state lines being crossed or a right. serial. Right. It is, it, it's a little odd. And they also didn't believe that she was a missing person at the time. They also thought that she was a runaway, so they dismissed it. Ugh. So the next day, after looking into Dina's life, finding she was a very dependable person, a good student, um, they've, they've actually classified her then as a missing person, possibly abducted, and they began fingerprinting her car that was still there in the parking lot. It always boggles my mind when we're not, <laughs> we're not saying it's a missing person when her car was like basically abandoned Yeah, in an abandoned parking lot. Who just leaves their car like that? like And decides to go off to a new life. Yeah, a 16-year-old. Well, if you're going to run away, wouldn't you take your car with you? I would think. I mean, the only thing I could think of is if she decided to go off with this boy and he had his own car. Uh-huh. I, don't, I still don't think she would just like leave the windows down and leave it unlocked. No, I don't either. That sounds like someone who's planning on coming back to the car. Yeah, or someone who was in the car when she was taken. Yeah. Like, just sitting there, probably listening to music or something. Mm-hmm. What's her stuff in the car? There was, like, her, some personal effects, but, I mean, she she was in band and stuff like that. So, I mean, it was, like, stuff from school and stuff from going to work. There wasn't anything out of the ordinary in there or anything taken, from what I understand. Hmm. So... Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't about breaking into the car. Did she take her wallet with her? Did they ever find that? Uh, I don't believe that they did. I'm not sure if she carried a purse or, or a wallet or where she carried her ID, but I don't think that they found her ID. But then again, like if she had if she were standing out in the parking lot or something talking to somebody, maybe she had a purse on at the time. If she had gotten into the boyfriend's car at any point, she would have taken her Yeah purse with her. I mean, I would have. I would yeah. have taken my car keys and my... But I also would have rolled my windows up. <laughs> I lost okay. my car. I probably wouldn't have if I thought I was just cruising for a minute or to, like, talk for a second. Maybe if you thought that you were just going to be, like, driving around this large parking lot or something. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, I mean, back then she probably had crank windows. That's a lot of work if you're only going to be gone for a minute. Yeah, 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 you're not wrong. Didn't fingerprint the car until the next day. Her family starts putting up missing person flyers all over town. And during this time, they actually never have any contact with Dina's best friend, Brandy. Um, She doesn't even call the night that she goes missing to let Dina's parents know that she was gone and like what happened. I guess it's a little odd, but like when you're teenagers, maybe she just thought Dina got busy. Just didn't think about it. Maybe her parents told her not to call because they thought it would be a bother. And that, yeah, that could be it too. Like you, as a kid, even a teenager, you always have other people kind of hovering over you, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. You know what I mean? Uh Especially in cases like this. Yeah. I mean, like, at 16, I had a really good best friend, and, like, we worked together. I think if Tasha didn't show up and I saw her car, I would have assumed that she was off with somebody else. I probably wouldn't have called her dad. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's, especially if, like, maybe Brandy thought that she, or knew that she was going to meet with some boy. Yeah. And, you know, thought, oh, maybe she just went off with him for a minute and she'll be right back. That's probably why she told that one person, like, no, I'll just wait for her. And then she just never showed up. Yeah, she clearly thought she would come back. Let's talk about her life before her disappearance. So she played the clarinet in the high school band. Um, She was Larry and Diane, uh, Diana's first child together. But fourth child in their family. So she was actually like the baby. Mm Mm-hmm. They had a good, humble home life together. Um, She was also like a typical teen in the sense that she and her best friend Brandy were literally always together, always at each other's house. And Dina had just began dating and taking um, like a more serious interest in, in boys. And Brandy literally described her as boy crazy. And so... She had a boyfriend she had recently broken up with shortly before her disappearance. It was about a month before her disappearance. His name was Sam, and the relationship had uh, kind of begun to fizzle out, kind of fray a little bit. And he was older than her and was apparently, uh, coming from Brandy, was apparently crazy about Dina. Um, And they talked about marriage a lot and, like, she, Dina was only 16. But he was 18 or 19 at the time. Yeah, he was older, like not in school anymore older. Something happened uh, and the relationship ended. Brandy, where I get a lot of this information from Brandy because she was like the best friend and then the, the what the parents have said about it. Mm-hmm. And none of them seem to know exactly what happened between Dina and Sam for the split to happen. Dina kind of moved on really quickly because she immediately started seeing another guy named Mike. And so Angie, Brandy's mother, she was actually a manager at Marvin's at the time, even during the disappearance. And claims that they were also close, that she was like a daughter to her. And they spoke often about what was going on in Dina's life. And she said that she and Dina spoke a couple of days prior to Dina's disappearance. They were in her home and they talked about this new guy named Mike Converse. Yes, like the shoe. (laughs) And she was apparently like madly in love with him. He worked at Marvin's with Brandy and Angie. They had begun uh, dating about a month prior to Dina's disappearance. And according to Brandy's mother, she had told Mike 
that she was pregnant just days before on June 4th because he wasn't as committed as she was, but it wasn't true. So she wasn't actually pregnant. She was not actually pregnant, but she told him that she was because he wasn't very, he wasn't as serious about the relationship as she was. And I guess that was her way to like jolt him into getting more serious with her. Teenagers. There was a note from Brandy to Dina uh, that they had found telling Dina that she needed to come clean with Mike. We know that she lied to him. Brandy told Angie that that night Mike had told Dina that he wanted to speak with her out in the parking lot and that she would be there waiting for Brandy when she got off work. So apparently Mike was the one that she was going to meet in the parking lot. Yeah. And later on, there's a witness that says she saw uh dina outside in the parking lot talking to somebody what was that person ever identified as mike though uh no they're not sure if it was mike or not but they it does put her in the parking lot with somebody right yeah that was male and having an argument with the person inside of the car so it could be assumed that it, it's might be Mike. And I don't think that he worked that night. He had left the store. He said he had left the store and he went decided to go bowling and shoot pool with a friend. Right, yeah. Dina also talked to her brother, Jonathan, um, about, she said she had a problem that she didn't know how to deal with, and this was just days before she went missing. Um, he says that he never actually got a chance to go into detail about it. Because Brandy was there, and Brandy walked in on the conversation, and she stopped talking. Like, as if she didn't want Brandy to know what she was talking about. Hmm. So, it's weird because Brandy, we've, we have this note from Brandy to Dina telling her that she needs to come clean. So, she obviously knew about it. She knew what was going on. But then she was just acting weird in front of Brandy with, the, with her brother. So then six days after Dina goes missing, this is June 12th, we're going to talk about a place called The Hilltop, which was a short distance from Marvin's. It was a local lover's lane and a party place for local teens. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like totally shut down now. Um, it was like, it, it's a pretty remote location. It's kind of, uh, those of you from the South, it's on the back roads. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those places that only locals know about. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. So the sheriff's department receives a tip, and they head out to search this area. And down this long gravel road, and then you go up this incline, you go past a pond, you go into this like really boggy, really wooded area, and there they find a body near the bank of the pond. The body had a broken jaw, cuts all over the body not deep cuts but like lacerations all over the body and she had been strangled the me is unable to discover the exact cause of death there were no tire tracks no like pushed down or pushed over brush or anything like that to indicate that like a vehicle was down there in the area mm -hmm. or anything uh they wondered if maybe this person was killed somewhere else and then dragged to this spot um, or if they were brought there alive and then killed because it's strangulation. So there's not going to be just a whole lot of blood. Yeah. 
and especially if I didn't see, but I wondered if those lacerations were post-mortem because they didn't really find that much blood or if it had happened in another location. But it did end up being Dina. It, they, they identified the body as Dina. Dina's oldest brother had actually gone up there with a sister and his wife the day after Dina disappeared. And he claims that they looked there thoroughly and she was not there. I mean, they would have, anyone who had gone up there, and she wasn't hidden or anything, was she? No, she was not hidden. No, she wasn't. So in those six days, anybody could have went up there. And I doubt nobody went up there that entire six days. Yeah, and I, this is why I um, kind of like to think that she was probably killed elsewhere. Because you have somebody who's literally searching this area the day after she goes missing, and she's not there, and you don't have any, really any blood evidence to suggest that, you know, she was cut or anything there. Did the Emmy mention any estimate on time of death? Uh, not that I recall. The Emmy had said, because it's freaking June in Oklahoma. And, you know, when bodies are left outside in that kind of heat and humidity and grossness, like it just, it makes it really hard to -hmm. determine. But, um, but yeah, so, but there were a few items collected from the scene. They collected cigarette butts. They found a pager, which they believed is Dina's. And they found a bunch of sunflower seeds. I wonder if the sunflower seeds were eaten. If they were like... I wondered that as well. I actually didn't see anywhere where they were like, oh yeah, they were spit out sunflower seeds. But also, I also kind of assume that if they're collecting them, it's probably to see if if they could get DNA. So I just... I kind of assume that they probably were like just shells. Was Dina dressed when she was found? Yeah, she was. Yes. Okay. And they didn't suspect any sort of um, like sexual assault or rape or anything like that. Okay. I almost wonder if the the lacerations, I almost wonder because you said it was like a woody area, right? Yes. Yes. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I I also thought. Running to get away from. Yeah. That yes, that's also what I maybe she was running through the woods and that's how she got all of those. Yeah. That's a really good question. Those are questions that no cops could answer. <laughs> uh-huh. This case almost instantly just went cold. They kind of hit a dead end. They they did have stuff for DNA, but I don't know how What are they testing it against? And that's the thing is like, what DNA did they find on her? I don't remember when the DNA, like the national database, was established. Yeah, and if they were running it against that, or if they were just collecting it to be collecting it, because I don't, I don't remember seeing anything, at least at this point in the investigation, where they compared it to anything. And they also got the cigarette butts. So, I mean, they knew that there was DNA, but maybe they were just waiting to get a suspect to run it against. Uh, It seemed to me from what I was reading, the cops kind of knew or kind of figured out the situation early on, but they just haven't had the evidence to support their theory. Tulsa Cold Cases actually picked this case up 2018 and they started their investigation. So this was, oh my gosh, 20 years later. Yeah. Yeah, so this this is a cold case for 20 years, which is, it's sad. Which is a little crazy because, like, 
They had suspects. Yes, they did have, yeah, they did. And apparently they exhausted all of that. Um, Mike had an alibi that night. Um, Like you said, he was uh, bowling and then he went to a couple other places with a bunch of other people. And uh, I guess his stuff checked out. Like they just, they never had anything solid. Well, and 20 years later, Brandy finally spoke up and she claims that she actually went home that night. Okay, so she said she went home that night with her her brother's girlfriend, but that they drove by Mike's house, which Mike's house was apparently really close to Marvin's um, to where, where he was working to see if Dina was there. And Mike's mother, DeWilla Converse, answered the door she said Mike wasn't there and neither was Dina. And then Mike came home while she was there and looked really surprised to see her. She said that he looked out of breath and was really short with her when she asked about Dina. And she tried to ask him more questions. He got really agitated and told her to leave. And so they left. Uh-huh. I, I'm not sure why she never shared that for 20 years with anyone, like not even police. Suspect. I wonder if he had a reputation of um, a bad temper. Yes, he does. And, yeah, and maybe she was scared of him. She might have been. I mean, she's yeah. only also 16 at the time. So so Mike's alibi, uh, I have yet to see where he either denied or confirmed even seeing Dina or meeting her in the parking lot that night. Yeah, there's no statements to that anywhere and then he actually says that he got home at 10 15 which w- would have technically if we follow the timeline i mean the last time she was seen was 8 15 mm-hmm. and then 10 30 we knew she was gone so there's a couple hours in there so he says he got home at 10 15 that he came from bowling with friends at river lanes bowling alley which was 12 miles away from his house And then he went to a local pool hall where he claims to have been for about a half an hour. So if Brandy went by his house after waiting for Dina in the parking lot where she was missing by 1030 and Mike came home when Brandy stopped by, then he would have gotten home at around midnight. Yeah. So that doesn't really line up to me. His alibi gives him around two hours. If... It lines up with Brandy. Gives him about two hours to do whatever he was doing to fit Brandy's timeline. Mm-hmm. So the the theory, the, the Tulsa Cold Case Task Force actually tested that theory. And they found that his alibi was feasible, although Mike's brother says that he actually got home at 1045, not 1015. So his route was feasible. But they're still not sure which who's telling the truth, whether he got home when he said or he got home when Brandy said. Yeah. Um, they did look at Mike's time card from work that night. Uh, and this is where they discovered that Robert Converse, Mike's father, had actually shown up one day after Dina went missing to try to get Mike's time card. But it was already claimed by authorities. Huh. So many red flags. Well, also, there's a there's a bit in the paper that says when Dina told her boyfriend she was pregnant, apparently the boyfriend's father rushed back from Missouri to West Tulsa to confront Dina at Marvin's. Right. Yeah. Good Lord. He rushed? 
like that's that's a bit of an extreme reaction well okay so let me tell you a little about robert converse robert converse was actually married six times today presents himself as a christian minister Robert and Mike had apparently a strong bond, and one ex-wife says that he was very smart but very manipulative. Another ex said that he hid behind the Bible, that he thinks that he is so loved by God that it didn't matter what he did or said. Um, She also said literally through tears that he was, quote, the devil himself. He was actually living in Table Rock Lake, at the time that Dina went missing, and yeah, they the authorities found out that Mike had um, called his dad when he found out about Dina's pregnancy on June 4th, and he, like, yes, he rushed to Tulsa from there. Yeah, he was pissed. And, and that probably falls under the religious aspect of it, because they were not married, married nor had they been together very long. They're both really young. He probably didn't want her to mess up, uh, didn't want him to mess up his life. Like, yeah, he probably had a whole bunch to say about it. But it sounds like to me that he's more mad at Dina than he is his own kid. Uh, like, yeah. Do the tango, man. He showed up at Mike's work on June 6th to talk to him about the pregnancy. So he was in town uh, when Dina went missing. Mm-hmm. He was there at the same time as Mike, Dina, and Brandy. Now, of course, he denies being there that night, but there's a bunch of people that put him there that night. The father and uncle are both seen in that red truck that night or something like that. So there was a witness that told investigators that the boyfriend's father and uncle killed Dina. And they were in a red truck at the time. They also gave a detail of the crime scene that had never been released that matched some sort of crucial fact in the case that wasn't released. Mm-hmm. And then another witness said a woman told him Mike's father, Robert, showed up at her house the night Dina disappeared. He was covered in mud and he needed his clothes washed. Yeah, yeah. That, that I believe that was one of his exes, Robert's exes. Yeah. So then... Another witness told investigators that the uncle had once stormed into the house, pushed Robert against the wall, threatened him if he talked about the case. Authorities actually found the car that Robert was driving that night um, after being denied by Robert, saying that he had sold it. They found it. I believe it was in some sort, oh my gosh, storage facility. Okay. Like outdoor storage facility. Mm -hmm. But he had just stashed it in there. And, of course, they wanted to test it for DNA to see if Dina had ever been in there. They actually did find blood sources in the trunk. um, But for some reason, was never further tested for DNA. That's odd. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. There was also a cardboard box back there that, according, according to authorities looked like there was it had been sitting in something wet and it was like wet up the sides and that also was never tested still not tested to this day not tested Jesus. they also tested cigarette butts from the crime scene and the car um not at the time i'm talking like this 20 years later yeah uh they found that They all contained, quote, unknown male DNA. 
that was a very close familial DNA profile to Robert on one of those cigarette butts. And another profile was that of a female and another female profile from the car. Hmm. So, like, did we ever collect Brandy's DNA? Not that I'm aware of. Is this maybe a jealousy thing? Like, I could I could see a woman breaking another woman's jaw and strangling her if she was trying to, like, manipulate my new love of my life into yeah. back into a relationship. Yeah. Yeah, but see, and then, but there was no mention of any previous girlfriends of him. What if but, it wasn't even a girlfriend? What if it was just someone who was in love with him? What if it was his mom? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, you're right. So they did collect, his name is Stephen Converse, the uncle. And they also collected DNA from Cindy Converse, which was Robert's wife at yeah. the time. Um, it was thought that Cindy was having an affair with Robert at the time that he was married to someone else. And eventually they got married. So they kind oh. of have, they kind of have a Bonnie and Clyde relationship is where I'm going with this. Okay. And to this day, they're still waiting on the results for those DNA tests. What? Yeah. Right after the DNA collection, it got kind of weird because Robert posted on his Facebook wall. They thought that it kind of sounded like a suicide threat. It literally said, quote, watch for the unexpected death of a Tulsa minister, end quote. Ah. The timing is kind of weird on that one, Robert. A little narcissistic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he he was described as by all of his ex-wives as being narcissistic and manipulative and almost like cult leader-ish. He's really worried about image, isn't he? Yeah. And, and they, because of this, they obtained a warrant. They got Robert's laptop, his cell phone. They got his ex-wife's cell phone. They got data from Cindy's cell phone to Robert's phone, uh, like conversations between them. Um, and they're asking the other one, like they're telling each other certain things. They're telling each other um, not to mention, like it says, don't mention that one thing. And then it's like deleted. And of course they can like recover some, you know, deleted texts. So there's like a bunch of weird stuff going on there right after the DNA test was taken. I which didn't find any mention of polygraph. No, I didn't either. No. Especially in the 90s. They polygraphed everyone. <laughs> I know. I know. Like, all of this stuff that we're talking about right now is from 2008. And this is, yeah. like, retired investigators doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, doing the job of the police that they should have done 20 years ago. I was going to ask if we knew anything about the relationship between the police and the converses. I don't know anything about their okay. relationship no to my knowledge i don't think there is one okay mike and his mother had not lived in tulsa like their whole lives okay but they had moved from i believe it was missouri where robert was okay so yeah i don't think that i mean they're kind of outsiders i didn't see anything where they were like talking to the cops a whole lot the good old voice club yeah, I didn't see anything about that. So I also couldn't find results on any DNA comparisons. Um, you know, they were taken in mid-2018, and it's, you know, 2022 now. So I don't, I know that sometimes those comparisons take a while, especially if you're getting them privately done, because you have to continue funding all of that. Um, but I don't know. I feel like if... 
we had gotten those back, there would probably have been an arrest if it matched up or something. I mean, in like 2018, 2019, we had the ID Discovery Channel did a chant, did an episode of some show on Dina. I, I remember it because you don't get a lot of Oklahoma cases on the ID channel. So that's interesting. Usually, ID will at least help expedite some of that stuff and send it to a private lab. Oh, that's awesome of them to do. So, it I mean, the backlog is bad, but it's oh, not yeah. like four years bad. Yeah. The sheriff's office did make a statement in 2021 that said it has exhausted most of the testable evidence. That's frustrating. So, I know. Especially since, you know, we had CODIS back in 98. Like, they could, they could have tested the stuff. Yeah, they could have. I, could I don't so... think anybody expected the Dina Dean case to get as big as it is, because almost everybody knows about it that follows true crime. Um, the ID channel, it's called Killer Unknown, and they cover two cases One of the, from Tulsa. One of those cases is Dina Dean. I've never watched it. I don't know how good it is. I do know that they had some detectives from Tulsa on there, though. It said that they follow the... Tulsa uh, cold they follow Tulsa cold cases as they try to work some of this case because I mean why didn't we I don't I guess I don't understand like we knew that the brother had been there and I know that he was because of him going out there he was actually a suspect for a while like he had a um, alibi uh, apparently he lived with the parents I believe at the time they were all home I don't know, that, that dad and the uncle is looking pretty good to me. It just seems like they don't have the physical evidence yeah. to be able to charge them. And that that is frustrating. Getting a familial DNA match on the cigarette butt that was there the night, a familial DNA match to Robert, it kind of points the finger at the uncle. Yeah, the was... uncle seems to be the most suspicious character. Why would he be that invested it would seem to me that Robert would be more invested and do something like that than the uncle would. Maybe Robert couldn't go through with it, so the uncle did it for him. Well, you know, you make a good point because everybody says that he was cult leaderish, and people like that don't do things themselves, so you do have a point there. Man, I don't know. It's just such a strange case. For the most part, I feel like we covered everything. I do think it's such a strange case because... There are many different ways you could go with the suspect pool. Yeah. It could be, we could all be completely off base and she could have been taken by a stranger. Yeah, that is always a possibility as well. I think Mandy had a good point with the cuts. Yeah. The running that, through the, the woods, Mandy, that was a really good... Personally, I don't think it's a stranger danger situation. Look, this reeks of a personal killing. Yeah. Especially the strangulation. No, especially yeah, the broken yeah. jaw. Like, it's almost over the top. Overkill. Yeah, over the top, yeah. My guess is she was yelling and they wanted her to shut up. That's exactly what I was about to say. Like, she was yelling or screaming or even... That may have been the first strike. Maybe she said something they didn't want to hear or something. It didn't start off as a, as a murder, but it ended up that way. Exactly, yeah. I think law enforcement made a mistake by saying that they've like pretty much exhausted all of their evidence because if they go to interview anybody now they know they don't have anything yeah i don't know why i man i don't know why police do they sort of lost they do 
they sort of <laughs> lost their upper hand there. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. You're really yeah, not wrong. Did they, did they think that maybe they were going to lure the, the the suspects into complacency? That I mean, that's a possibility. I yeah, know. I wonder if they had tapped their phones to see what they were going to say after they figured out they have no evidence. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, oh. personally, from a professional aspect, that's probably something I would have done. Yeah. But I'm a yeah. suspicious person. If they got their phone records, they got a warrant for their phone records. I'm sure they did. They could see all the texts and stuff and that all of that looked awfully suspicious anyway. The whole thing is suspicious. And do you know that that to some degree the, the the police department has to feel a little bit responsible and guilty about the fact that they didn't push the investigation when they could have especially now that it's like up here like I don't know if um, down there in Oklahoma City you guys have news 9 yes. so here we have news uh, 6 and that's like the sister station Yeah. and one of the reporters um Lori Fulbright, she has literally been on this case since day one. She's still at News on Six, and she covers it like every single year, every year on either Dina's birthday or on um, the anniversary of her going missing or her death. She she does something every single year, so it is constantly in the news up here. Yeah. What about her previous boyfriend, the one she had just broken up with? Like not not Mike, but Sam or whatever. Yeah, they did investigate him um, because they had, yeah, they had initially thought that maybe this was like a jealousy thing um, because they were really close. But I, I, he had an alibi. I can't remember what it was, but he had an alibi and it was like pretty solid. Can you imagine getting taken out by somebody named Sam? (laughs) That would, yeah. It's such a puppy dog name. Yeah. I suspect the Sam. Oh, not Sam. Sam would never do that. Yeah. In my experience, most suspects are named Steve, but that's just me. <laughs> I wonder about the boy crazy comment. That maybe it wasn't just those two guys, that maybe there were more. Yeah, like our ex-boyfriends we don't know about. Yeah, I mean, it did say that she was like really obsessed with dating, that was literally a quote from Brandy. Dating. Literally any of that could happen, have happened. And none of it seems to have been investigated properly. So Yeah. I think in 98, if, if they had done a little bit more, that we wouldn't be here in 2022 discussing it. I feel like that's the theme of most of these cold cases, though. Especially in Oklahoma. Yeah. And of course, you know, you guys out there, if you have any information, you can always call. You know what? I would, if I were you, I would call the Tulsa Cold Case Task Force first. (laughs) Just throwing it out there. But you can also, like, leave tips anonymously. So, you know, if you have any information, don't hold back. Share that because you might, that might be the missing link. You never know. Yeah. And hey, we have an anonymous tip box on our website uh, at oklahomacoldcases.org so if you want to no, leave it's, it's on the Facebook page it's on the Facebook page okay yeah. well either or you can leave us a little tip there too if you need to if you're listening to this episode on Spotify 
if you'll scroll down just a little bit, you'll see a little uh, questionnaire and it'll say, do you know anything about the Dina Dean case? And you can put an anonymous comment in there if you'd like. Um, I want to thank Oklahoma Cold Cases. These girls are amazing. Tell them a little bit about your podcast because there are cases that I have yet to do and it's because they are so tedious. There's so much information to go through. They're so long. And one of those is the Lawton serial killer. That's what the throwaways is about. So tell us a little bit about it. So the throwaways this season is about the Lawton serial killer, which is, you know, the moniker given to a series of killings that happened in the Lawton, Oklahoma area, largely between 1999 and 2003. They were almost all sex workers and almost all found in the same way. And we have been researching this case for about four years at this point. Decided to go ahead and do the podcast. So that's what we did this season. It's been a, it's been a long road. We, we never really intended to go down that rabbit hole. We researched one case of Barbara Berry and it all kind of led back <laughs> to this whole thing. Yeah. And now we're here because yeah. it's been an obsession and a labor of love. And So they are, they do just the Lawton serial killer all it's like all in one season it's yeah. the whole season is the Lawton serial killer it's not a different case every time but you guys are thinking about going ahead and doing a season two and possibly more we have plans for season two we're in the research phase right now and getting files and all that and we're season three what we're planning on doing is still in the air because I mean you know when it comes to a podcast there's a lot of planning Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've decided what we're going to do for season two and really, really excited about it. Not about the murders, but about covering it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic season, really. Are we keeping a secret? (laughs) Do you want to tell people, Jen? I don't know. I mean, I don't mind telling people. It's a case that people don't know a lot about, but the true crimers in Oklahoma know they hold it near deep. It's the OKC Pitcher case. Oklahoma City Butcher. I haven't really delved that much into that one. So, and I've been listening to your podcast like avidly. So I'm like kind of excited about that. Thank you guys so much for being with me. And I hope to have you guys on again at some point. Um, I just don't know what case, but this was a lot of fun because most of the time when I'm listening to your podcast, I literally have it like I'm sitting in, in my um, baby's playpen with him and I've got it up on a shelf and I'm just like yelling. I'm just like, why? Why didn't they? Why did they do that? Like, I, it's just me yelling. So now I get to yell with you. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, we feel you on that. We do a lot of yelling too. There's a lot of yelling. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have a new case for you next time. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?